Church Forgiveness February. So good, because it's nearly March. This is the last one for the series. means that we can go through the rest of our year not forgiving. No, 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 no. We get to go through the rest of the year practicing. Walking out, giving it a go, because it's so hard, this forgiveness thing. I realized while preparing this, preaching on the topic of forgiveness, so incredibly easy. There's so many illustrations, so many examples, right the way through from the beginning of the Bible, right the way through to the end of man forgiving man and God forgiving man. It's so good. Forgiveness is really important. But if I'm going to be totally honest, even though the Bible's filled with so many opportunities for us to understand the forgiveness, the heart of God, the love that he shows us, the grace of God, it's really difficult. I always feel, I don't know about you, I always feel that I'm failing. Failing at forgiveness. I'm not sure that's the greatest title. Failing at forgiveness. Sometimes I even struggle to forgive myself. To live free from guilt caused from that feeling that I'm failing to forgive. It makes me wonder what it might even be like to be free from carrying all this heaviness. I don't know about you, uh, this message, I pray, falls onto your ears, that enters your heart, that it resonates with you. But I do want to acknowledge forgiveness. It's not easy. When it comes down to it, it's a beautiful yet challenging thing. It's a challenging command for all Christians. We bask in the forgiveness that Christ offers us on the proviso. And there's probably a better word for that. But we really should be then flowing on the encouragement to show that forgiveness to those who offend, hurt and trespass against us. Before we go any further this morning, I need to invite God. I know he's already part of it. We've had incredible worship, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your forgiveness again and again and again and again. We thank you for making a way for us to be completely forgiven and restored to you. Holy Spirit, this morning, we pray that you would come. You're already here, but come. You're so welcome. Fill this place. Stir and heal our hearts. Help us to renew our mind and our thoughts so that they line up with those of yours. Lord, help us to become more and more like you each day as we submit our ways to your ways, as we take up our cross and do our best in following in your footsteps. In the name of Jesus, our Christ and Saviour, we pray. Amen. While it can be passively easy to forgive an offender, it's so easy to let those words rattle off our lips. I forgive you. Oftentimes in a childish form, it looks like this. Sorry. We've seen that again and again, haven't we? And we need to teach our children how to apologise so that forgiveness can be offered. But we actually do go through this process and it's easy to say. The challenge comes, unfortunately, when we're reminded of the offence, when our mind seems to grab hold of that hurt and remind us. The challenge can come when we see that person and we're reminded of what they might have done to us. Sometimes even worse, when we even just think of them. They might not even need to be present. 
This is especially true when you find it hard to get rid of that negative memory. Sometimes these recurring memories and feelings, they make you question whether you've actually really forgiven the other person. Because it feels like I'm holding a grudge and that's where I feel like I'm failing. Carrying the hurt, replaying the incident over and over again, those hurtful words, feeling sorry for myself or maybe even worse, may I dare to admit in front of you, thinking of how I can get revenge. Because we know that hurt people hurt people. Is this just me? Or do others struggle with this forgiveness thing? I'm not going to get you to put your hands up. But my prayer is that if God's given me this message this morning, that it's not just for me, I really do believe that it's for the body. I know forgiveness is best for me. I know it. I know that God requires it of me. I know that carrying unforgiveness, it hurts me. It wastes my emotional energy. It flows into a physical struggle sometimes. I recognize that unforgiveness leads to stress and pain. I know I should forgive people and try to move on. I try to forgive, but that's where I fail. We hear messages again and again preached with scriptures and illustrations correctly, theologically explaining this process and how we're encouraged to forgive others and forgive ourselves as God forgives. In our humanity, it may seem even impossible to forgive because we may remember what someone did to hurt us for as long as we live. It's how we process that hurt that has a serious impact on how we carry it. Just a bit of a process. Oftentimes, we think. We think that hurts in the moment. Oh, that hurt. Those words, that action, how it made me feel, that thought starts in, in my mind. and goes to a feeling. It hurts. It hurts in my heart. It hurts somewhere throughout my body. And then it can move to an action. And it loops back again to that thought. It's a really vicious cycle if we don't learn to arrest it along the way. It often starts as a hurt in the mind and our feelings then join in and our body reacts. Our heartbeat increases. We become grumpy or irritated. Basically, it causes me not to be my best person. Being not present in the moment. It's another outworking of this offence. And this then fuels further unhelpful thoughts that now partner with that guilt and it repeats. I don't know what it works like for you, but that's the process that I experience. The process of thoughts, feelings, physiological responses in the body, poor behaviour, consequences, building a stronger memory. Sometimes we see the damage and the weight and the pressure of this process of unforgiveness becoming built up over time. I don't know about you, but it sometimes becomes larger than what the original offence was, what the original hurt was. We can end up ruminating for hours, days, even years on this thing that we're holding on to, this hurt, this unforgiveness that originally, generally only ever took a couple of seconds, a moment. Yet why am I still carrying it days, hours, days, months, years afterwards, ruminating on it, letting my thoughts continue? It's just so easy to do. This is what makes forgiveness Truly difficult, seemingly impossible. Although I wonder if it's, like most things, that are difficult. 
when we manage to overcome the offense and forgive, the benefits are more than just rewarding, they're life-changing. There's two Old Testament words that we're aware of that are used for the word forgive in the Bible. The first and the more common one is salah, S-A-L-A-H, salah, meaning to practice forbearance, to pardon or forgive. It's never used of man forgiving a human, but of God forgiving man. We have the forgiveness of the Father paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, as we heard in communion this morning. The other Old Testament word for forgive is nasa, N-A-S-A, nasa, nasa, meaning to lift up, to take away, to bear up, to carry. To offer. It offers a beautiful um, picture of what God does to our forgiveness, for our forgiveness and our guilt and our shame. In fact, Psalm 103, verses 8 to 12, reads, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. That's my God. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we might deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from the east as is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. So if this is the case, why do I hold on to unforgiveness? Why is it so hard? Why is this forgiveness thing so difficult? Why do I sometimes seem to choose to hold on to what God has freed us from. So many biblical examples of forgiveness. Man forgiving man, God forgiving man. David was an adulterer, a murderer, yet he cried out to God and he received forgiveness and he was used by God in mighty ways. Esau forgave Jacob for stealing his birthright in Genesis 33. Time and again in the wilderness journey, um, told primarily in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel disobeyed and complained again and again, yet God forgives them again and again. God's great love and patience is shown time and again as he forgives them. One of the most beautiful examples of forgiveness, though, that I'm going to spend just a little bit of time this morning going through is that from Genesis and the story of Joseph. Joseph was a beloved son of his father, Jacob. Joseph had a dream from heaven that pointed to future events, but he explained it to his brothers, and his brothers seriously hated him for that and for being daddy's favourite. Out of sheer jealousy, they threw him into a deep pit to die a gradual death. That was their first plan. But then on second thought, they changed their plans, retrieved Joseph from the pit, and sold him off into slavery. One thing led to another. Joseph found himself as a slave in Potiphar's house in Egypt. Joseph then served a term in prison, but after interpreting a couple of dreams in the prison, so it wasn't all beautiful for Joseph along the way. That would have just, for me, built unforgiveness onto unforgiveness. Each of those happenings would have made more hurt, more turmoil that started back with my brothers and grabbed hold of. But who can hold a grudge against their brother? Come on. Little puppy dog eyes and, you know, that little boyish charm. Anyway, years passed. Severe famine ravaged the rest of the world, except for Egypt. 
Egypt didn't experience food shortages because of the wise counsel of Joseph. An unprecedented stock of food supply had been kept in Egypt. Doing a big loop back now, though, to the brothers, back home in the land of Canaan, where food scarcity had reached unbearable levels. This drew his brothers to Egypt in search of necessary food. But God had another plan. Consequently, they found themselves in the presence of their long-forgotten, ill-treated brother, who now had become a mighty man in the land of Pharaoh, in a position of power and choice, in charge of the nation's food supply. The way I see it, actually, this probably would have been Joseph's opportunity for some serious payback. I would have held that grudge like a champion. My brother, if he had even thought of doing that to me, I tell you, I'm sorry, probably not even, I can't say out loud what probably my thoughts are. But effectively, Joseph was in the perfect position to take out revenge on his brothers and severely punish them for their treacherous past. But not our great Joseph. He wouldn't repay his brothers with their own evil deeds. Rather, he forgave his brothers and showed so much mercy. We read this in Genesis, culminating to Genesis 45 verses 1 to 11. Joseph could stand it no more. The brothers have come to Egypt and they're there. He's aware of their need. He knows who they are, but he could stand it no more. There's so many people in the room where he was and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. They were alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? His brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realise that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. For it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there'll be neither ploughing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve and to preserve many other survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Love that he gave glory to God. He could have held on to unforgiveness so harsh, yet he saw God's hand and purposes in all of this. He says in verse 9, Now hurry back to my father and tell him. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the master over all of the land in Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and everything that you own. I'll take care of you there, for you're still five years of famine ahead of us. How good is Joseph in that example, in that moment? Joseph pointing glory to God. God put me here. God can cause something good to happen out of something not so good. Trust in that church. 
Then we can read in the New Testament some other examples. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. In the night, Jesus tried, was crucified. In John 21, 15 to 19, we're not going to read it, but we see Jesus forgiving Peter and reinstating him into ministry. Paul tortured and killed Christians, but after turning to God, he spoke often about the good news of God's forgiveness that he himself had experienced that life-changing power of forgiveness. Another example, the woman caught in adultery, the story found in John 8, is a beautiful example of forgiveness and God's mercy. According to the Old Testament law, this woman should have died, but Jesus mysteriously steps in, starts drawing a line in the sand, and whatever he writes, it moves her accusers to leave from the oldest to the youngest, and Jesus simply tells her the same words that he would be telling you today. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then the crucifixion of Jesus. You would think that Jesus, with all his heavenly power at his disposal, would severely deal with the people who unjustly crucified, accused and crucified him. Instead, as we heard this morning, he extended uncommon forgiveness by pleading with the Father not to hold these people's sin against them. On the cross, as Brett shared this morning, he proclaimed, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I'm seeing biblically that forgiveness is important. Dare I be so bold to say essential? I want to acknowledge today, though, that forgiveness is difficult. If this is hard for you, you're in great company, even if it's just me. If no one else, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you're in great company if offering forgiveness is difficult. Because it often involves immense hurt. It sounds like it makes sense on all of the pages that we read in the Bible. But we know when we're reading the Word of God, we know the beginning and the end of those illustrations, of those stories, of those passages. Bit of a challenging thought. What if we were writing the pages of history today with our lives? What if we were going to be documented in how we responded to different situations? I'm so scared of what future generations would read about my life. You might read something like, and Jamie held a grudge like a total champion, never forgiving what had been done to him and died a very bitter, sad man. How would you like a recount told about your life? They're not the words I want in remembrance of me. Actually, I would love to have the words similar to Joseph. And Jamie glorified God. Insert your own name in that sentence. See how it resonates with you. I don't know about you, but if there's something that I can start doing today to avoid that outcome, that negative outcome, I'd rather explore how I might be able to do things differently. Now, I have no idea, and I wouldn't dare step into individual cases of hurt that you've all experienced, the atrocities, the trauma, the things that you've experienced, and I wouldn't dare compare or suggest you simply get over it. Because that's about equally as unhelpful as telling someone to calm down. However, I'm not exempt. Some people somehow come to this conclusion that Jamie's life is amazing, and it is. I'm extremely blessed. But that can bring confusion because there's still trials and there's still hurt. I've had my fair share of hurts, but here's what I'm learning so far. That to live a life in relationship with people, I'll be exposed to opportunities to be on the receiving end of hurt. 
if I'm going to step out of the four walls of the safety of my house and live in community with other people at some point, that will create an opportunity for me to be hurt. Unfortunately, as the case is, even from those that I consider friends, maybe even loved ones. Like one friend, where one minute I was invited to their wedding, not only as a participant, but asked to say grace, to pray for he and his new wife. Unfortunately, within a week, I was receiving some threatening calls and text messages demanding that I call him back within a few minutes and threatening my future ministry, my my current and future jobs and employment, accusing me of all sorts of things and demanding. So this was um, within the course of a shower and I'm going to say about 10 minutes. I had five text messages seven missed calls, all with voice messages and five messenger messages from this one person that I had journeyed with and supported and brought to this place with making claims that I had simply not done. Not to be taken lightly, an added level of complication in this case, he actually claimed to have some legal standing and a qualification. However, What was really cool in this certain incidence is the support community I have around me and my God that brought peace in this place where I could put my my phone to one side, leave it and I slept like a baby. And I slept with thoughts like this, God, you've put me in each of my positions. This man doesn't realise that. If anyone's going to remove me from my ministry potential in those places, it'll be you and I'll be okay with that. That little switch of a mindset, it brought so much peace in that place. It's confusing because that hurt can still come from other areas, often unexpectedly. From my own church family sometimes, challenging my actions, my motives. Essentially, even I feel questioning my integrity. They're the ones that hurt sometimes. I've been yelled at and definitely know that I've been stabbed in the back. I've had unjust comments made about me and my family throughout not only... I'm going to say, not even throughout the church, but throughout the broader community. Would you believe it? Even my own family have actually offended and caused significant harm along the way. I don't think anyone's exempt. I've even had families that I've been supporting through chaplaincy get the wrong idea in their heads and run with that and make official complaints claiming that I've overstepped the boundary and mark. People that I've been supporting gone down to the administration and advocated for and said, we need a higher level of support for this, made claims at the highest level they could go that I had to answer to. They hurt. Those moments hurt. Even Pastor Phil received a call from the head of our movement, Pastor Wayne Alcorn, with a please explain. Just checking if Pastor Jamie might have actually hung up on someone. That's an interesting claim. As someone had called and reported an official complaint claiming that I'd hung up on them, when in total honesty, it was several years ago, the blame was entirely on their phone service provider. But it didn't matter, it still challenged my character. These hurt and bring me to tears. Some of them have more impact than others. So I'm definitely not exempt from opportunities to practice forgiveness yet I'm definitely not a master yet. Here's what I have learnt, though. 
with the help of God and the amazing support I've got around me, who, who, give me, who encourage me to lean into God when I'm offended and hurt and I need his love and his peace and his restoration. I do have an incredible church family around me that offer that support. But here's what I know. Number one, it's hard to continue to carry unforgiveness when I'm fully surrendered to God. Allowing him to transform and renew my mind, remembering that that's where lots of the offence starts and wrestles and turns over. By spending time in God's word, it's often those times I'm challenged with questions like, can I be loving and hold unforgiveness at the same time? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for those moments, for they make me who I am. If I'm going to be the forgiving in love, if I'm going to be forgiving in love, what would that look like in this situation? That's where those thoughts ponder as I'm reading the word. And if you'd turn with me or if you'd look to the screen as we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, one of the portions of scripture that challenged me in that place. Because it tells me that love is patient and love is kind. And it makes sure that my thoughts, if I'm going to be loving as Christ, as God has loved me, as Christ loves me, as the Holy Spirit in me working through me is going to do a work in this place, got to walk in love, which is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Unforgiveness is generally keeping a record. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will come, become useless, but love will last forever. When I ponder on those scriptures, when I'm feeling hurt and I take that hurt to God, they're the places that he brings me to to go, accept love. This is what it looks like. Walk this out. Secondly, if I choose to stay holding on to offence, then surely I can choose to release that by taking it to God. That one's a little harder, but it's true. If it's a choice to hold on to an offence, can I choose, make the same choice to let it go? I had a recent opportunity to hold on to a grudge and be offended by some shonky workmanship of a tradesman who came into our house to do a project. After spending a whole day fixing the mistakes that he'd made, not doing the job properly, I came to the end of the day, a whole day, of these thoughts of this this guy and the damage that he'd done. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit and it sounded a little something like this. Jamie, you've cursed this guy all day. Now it's time to pray for him. And so that's what we did. And that change wouldn't have made, I believe it still makes a difference for him, but not in the knowledge space. God absolutely bless him, bless that man, continue to grow him in his tradesmanship, his workmanship, in his ethics. Bless him. He's had a a journey to get him to this place where he thought that was acceptable. Lord, he needs your love. That was the sort of prayer that came through. But more than that, It allowed me to move forward. Like I said, I can hold a grudge like a champion. I think I should have an award, at least printed out, photocopied with a photo of Jamie, unforgiveness and grudge holder, something like that. But this process, 
of handing it to God, choosing to release it rather than holding on to it, absolutely was so much more healing for me, enabled me to move on. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, just to highlight this, says, You have heard what the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, this guy wasn't even an enemy. He just let me down. But God says even more than that, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true, true, true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors can do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. This helps most when I get confused when someone close to me says something hurtful. Oftentimes this is out of sorts, out of the blue, and it catches me off guard. It's a really healthy process to go through the process of speaking to God. The third thing that I've found really helpful on my own journey has been those moments where I've considered things differently. I've practiced some flexible thinking because my head, it grabs hold of a thought and that becomes a truth and it doesn't allow me to challenge it sometimes. Sometimes I need to pause, wrestle with that initial thought that comes into my mind and go, and you'll, you'll hear what I mean by this process. Sometimes if I manage to pause and consider things differently, wrestle and challenge with some of those automatic thoughts that can be unhelpful. At the moment, what's been helpful for me is reading a book uh, titled Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table by Louis Giglio. We're reading it as a family devotion. And church, I've got to be honest, I wish I'd read it years ago. Basically, it draws on Psalm 23, it says, where it says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Encouraging the readers and the believers not to let the enemy, Satan, have a place at the table that Jesus has prepared for you. A table where the enemy is not invited. A place where you don't have to allow the enemy to influence your thinking and steal your joy. A place where you can sit in the presence and the power of the good shepherd. With many different illustrations, this book actually encourages you to fix your eyes on Jesus, which is a great teaching because we naturally want to fix our eyes, our thoughts, our minds on the things of hurt. But if we fix them on Jesus, we can bring healing and bring forgiveness. Actually, a lot like a Bible when you come to think of it. What helps me have Jesus' thoughts? Instead of the first thing in my mind makes me ask things like, why are they doing this or treating me this way? I've paused to re-ask the question a different way from a different point of view and maybe a, a grace, grace approach. Do they even realise they're hurting me? Is this even about me? What's going on in their day? Sometimes instead of asking questions like, what's wrong with them? Why are they acting this way? I find it so much more helpful to consider the question, things like, what's going on for them? What do they need to be healed from? How can I be part of the change in their lives today? How can God bring a blessing for them? So basically, church, this morning, if you find forgiveness a struggle, you're in good company. But if I can encourage you with one thing this morning, please don't be settled to stay there. Please continue to practice walking out forgiveness in your everyday life, not just forgiveness February, forgiveness every day. 
can I encourage you maybe to, to discover all that you can be? Because sometimes it starts with identity. And I find that when I know who God says I am. And I find that in the book of Ephesians, it's so powerful. A portion of scripture that I'm going to read this morning just reminds me of God's goodness, hope and wisdom and the word that charges me up. Chapter 4, verse 30, Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. I want to encourage you this morning, church, spend some time, read through the book of Ephesians and just know who you are in Christ. But verses 30 to 32 says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. My God loves me. Even when I fall and I fail. Remember, He has identified you as His own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander. Let all and all types, as well as all types of evil behaviour, get rid of them, church. That's what unforgiveness causes. That's the fruit of that. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. If you struggle with unforgiveness or if you haven't asked Jesus into your everyday life, can I ask you to ask Jesus to be part of that healing for you or to save you with a simple prayer, something like this. Lord, I stand before you today and I struggle to let go of hurt and forgive. Today I ask for your forgiveness that I might be reconciled to my heavenly Father that I could then also be an example and show your forgiveness to others around me. Jesus, I ask you to be the Lord and the Saviour of my life as I surrender my ways, take up my cross and follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I want to surrender my own ways. I'm sorry for the times that I've fallen short, that I've sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. Heavenly Father, by the blood of Jesus, I thank you that you've made a way. And now we can be reconciled and restored. And that love and that grace, let it flow over into my life and those around me that have just said a prayer or will in days to come say a prayer just like the one we said. Lord, as we spend some time listening to the song that Lisa's prepared this morning, it's not her song, but Lord God, as we spend some time Holy Spirit, won't you come? Not to remind me of the places and the hurts that I've experienced, but to remind me that you're with me, to remind me that you have healing for me and you're calling me out to better. Remind me as I reflect on this song and in this space that you're here with me and you've gone through everything that I've been through. Hold my hand. Continue to draw me to yourself and journey with me every step of the way. Steer my path, go before me. And Lord, continue to wrap your loving arms around me. In Jesus' name and all the church said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we will see you next week.